Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. I'm Chris Danielson, my best friend and bride, Emily. Oh, she is sick, so prayers are appreciated. It is time for our midweek long-form teaching, and today we're going to be talking about worship and why do I care. Going to John chapter 4 and in Timothy at the end, it's kind of a bookend launching pad topical message today. I've already received some feedback, and if you get half the blessings of the people that have spoken to me, I will be thrilled for you. Why don't you drop me a line? The email address is in the upper left-hand corner at BibleIdiots.com. Right now, let's go to the main sanctuary at Lifehouse Church with a message I delivered last Sunday. I want you to be encouraged in worship today. As we prepare and execute the awesome celebration of the Christmas season and all that goes along with the Advent season, I want to take some time today to set the record, to set the tone to set any kind of course correction that's needed for a deeper clarity for those of us who care. I want you to know what we actually do here. Not what I want us to be, not what you want us to be, not what the perception of the townspeople is, good, bad, or otherwise, not what we used to be, not what cultural Christianity thinks we are supposed to be, but what we actually do here. From a complete, we are the bride of Christ, factual, insightful explanation. When you talk about worship, it's much more than a mission statement. But what we do is, you ready? Here comes. We announce the mystery of God with fear and trembling. We persuade people through the preaching of the word and worship by the power of the Spirit given to us for the salvation of souls, for the glory of God. And then we work it out and walk it out together in covenant. With the Bible as our authority, the six rhythms of discipleship as our help, the 10 BIC core values as our standard, and we stand firm in the ways of Jesus, and we worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, here at LifeHouse... We are intentionally faithful in our preaching and teaching, following the Apostle Paul's uh, example of reasoning with people and drawing directly from the Scripture. That's all I do. And my parting example of that today will be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 at the end of the message. And after we teach others what Jesus has done in the gospel, then we can share how this good news addresses our needs. And we see why we need the gospel as well as how we must respond. That's how it goes down. That's what we're all about. That is what we will always be about, or at least supposed to be about. And that is what we have all covenanted together to do. Since there is overwhelming evidence that when it comes to the term worship, we have levels of different understanding within our group. So I want to take a few minutes today and understand it better together. So when we talk about worship here at LifeHouse, we encourage worship here at LifeHouse. We believe we worship when we come into our church, and sometimes we actually do. But today I want to try and determine what biblical worship is and what it is not, particularly for the Advent season. Come and worship, come and worship, come and worship the newborn Jesus Christ, right? So things like singing, preaching, going to church and praying 
are not by themselves worship. <gasps> what? They may serve to stimulate worship, and they may be carried out in the spirit of worship, but they are not worship in and of themselves. So if these things that we all kind of think to be worship are not really worship, then what is it? Well, that's a good question. And that is the question I hope to answer, at least in part, with the time that we have today. See, I would like us to get a handle on the true nature of biblical worship, and I want us to see why true biblical worship matters. I want us to understand how we can be involved in true biblical worship during this Advent season. Follow? So we have two texts today. We have John 4, 20 through 30, and 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And the first one we're going to use as a topical launching pad, and the second we're going to close with, okay? So let's begin. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, of the main text, John 4, 20 through 30. And this is the uh, story you may know about the Jesus with the woman at the well, but this is right in the middle of it. Here we go. I read in Jesus' name. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made their way to him. Heavenly Father, we just ask that these be your words to your children for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. So, the context. The context today. There is no way that we can adequately talk, discuss, preach, and teach on a topic like worship in one or two messages. So I want to begin a journey that may take us throughout the whole 2022 season. But I want to begin a journey with a message I'm calling, What is Biblical Worship and Why Do I Care? Another title that I could have had for this message could have been 10,000-foot overview of biblical worship. In our text, I want to call attention to the word worship. Did you hear it? It appeared in that text in some form at least eight times, depending on your translation. And each time it appears in the passage, it's translated from the Greek word proskuno. And that word literally means to kiss forward. To kiss forward. It, you know, or to kiss toward. It is used of the ancient trans tradition of a person kissing the hand of a superior. Or a person would bow down to the ground and would, would uh, uh, you know, bow their head and kiss the hand of the ones that they felt was superior to them. You know, it's, it's also uh, a sense of prostrating yourself. A person would bow down before a superior with a sense of honor, respect, awe, revenge, homage. 
word would also be used the way a dog would lick the hand of its owner, of its, of its master. It's an image of trust as well as respect and honor. You follow? Our English word worship comes from the old Anglo-Saxon word worthiskype or sipe. I don't know if the C is silent or not. Worthiskype. It refers to giving someone their worth. Now that's the basics. But when it comes to God, it means that we are to ascribe to God his worth. It means that we state and affirm his supreme value and glory. And when we apply these images to our relationship with God, it simply means that we humble ourselves and give glory, give honor, give reverence, and give awe, respect, and homage to God. It means that we recognize his vastly superior standing and we humble ourselves before him and give glory to him. So that makes point number one real easy. It's worship is giving. Worship is giving. Essentially, it's giving honor and respect to God. Now, hopefully, that is the reason we have gathered in this place. We are not here to honor the preacher or the singers or the church or the traditions or just to check a box on the weekly discipline that it becomes your cultural life. We're here to humble ourselves before our great God and give him the glory he deserves. We should come to God daily, whether here or there or anywhere, for honor, respect, reverence. He's our Lord God Almighty. There are over 87 Hebrew and Greek words that are used to describe the concepts of praise and worship. And there are over 600 references to praise and worship in the Bible. Now, obviously, we don't have time to consider them all, but uh, I'm going to try to hit some hot spots as we move along this morning. Worship literally fills the pages of Scripture. The book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, fell into sin because they worshiped themselves instead of God. The book of Revelation puts, you know, pulls back the curtain between earth and heaven and gives us a glimpse of pure worship and glory. All the way through the Bible, you see scenes of worships recorded for our help in understanding what worship is and what it is not. See, worship, listen to me now, worship is the absolute non-negotiable of the authentic Christian life, of the authentic Christ follower's experience. It's non-negotiable. A Christian must worship. A Christ follower has no choice. I will go so far as to say that a truly redeemed child of God can't not worship. Follow? Worship to the believer is like an engine in your, in your car. Worship to our spiritualized is the most important and essential element that we have. Look, it's as natural for a Christian to worship as it is for a person to breathe. I remember being at the racetrack and one of my uh, buddies hit the wall really hard. And he, by the time he got back to the pits and we were helping him out of his car, he was just getting his breath back. And, and he starts breathing and he said this and I'll never forget it. He said, you know what? Breathing is key. <laughs> worship is key. It's essential to everything that we do and are as believers. It's like a bird trying to fly without wings. That's why understanding and trying to understand worship is vital and so important. Now, I want to give you some possible definitions of worship. Why? Because worship is a concept that defies adequate definition. 
We just have to take a stab at it and hope we come close. I mean, let me give you an example. How do you describe a rare sight of beauty? A sight of rare beauty. I've tried to explain to people, the mountains are beautiful. The oceans are beautiful. There's stuff in Alaska we've seen that's blown our minds. But just driving my mom back from Wichita, coming across the prairie lands, there's a beauty here in the prairie lands that sometimes you take for granted. How do you explain that? Or how about a pleasant fragrance? How do you explain that to somebody who's never uh, smelled it? Or how about a taste? How do you explain flavor to someone that has never tasted what you tasted? How do you explain time? Worship is something that is better experienced than it is defined. But with that, let's still give it a shot. Let's try to define worship. Warren Wiersbe took a real good shot at it. He said this in one of his books. He said, Worship as the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to all that God is and says and does. That's pretty narrow, right? It's a joke. Believer's response to all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to all that God is and says and does. As we consider the definitions of, of, of the, the light of the word of God, of how worship is in the Bible, what is said by various authors and, and other things, I've kind of got a little bit of a, of a conglomeration here, a little bit of a mixture that we're going to have for the rest of the message today to kind of give you this idea. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, Thursday, I, I kind of put the polishing touches on this and it was just very emotional, very emotional. Because when you see worship a little bit more clearly, you see that you in your worshiping state can't control it or get a real handle on it. See, an anonymous writer said this. He said, worship is the overflow of a grateful heart under a sense of divine favor. It was the overflow of a grateful heart under a sense of divine favor. That's teaching us that worship is sometimes a spontaneous event, most of the time. True worship does not have to be pumped and primed and set up. It's an outpouring of a heart that's filled with a sense of God's goodness, greatness, and glory. That's why point number two in your notes is worship is an overflow. Worship is overflow. David said it this way in Psalm 45.1. David said, My heart is moved by a noble theme as I recite my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. The word moved literally means to keep moving. It was used to speak of a boiling pot of water. The idea is boiling over or bubbling up. And as David reflected on the glory and the majesty of God as it was revealed in his creation, his word and salvation, his heart bubbled over. It boiled over with love and praise for his God. And when his heart overflowed, worship ascended to God. That's the same picture he wrote about in Psalm 23.5. Psalm 23.5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So the worship is the overflow of a heart filled with the glory of who God is and what he has done. You know, when you stop 
in your day, just for a minute, and you reflect on him, his power, his grace, his love, his mercy, his salvation, his word, and a host of other things, our hearts are filled with overflowing love and adoration for him. When the heart boils over, worship is the result. Worship is my entire being giving honor, adoration, and glory to all that God is. Worship is the outpouring of a soul at rest in the presence of God. Emphasis is on the spiritual condition of the worshiper, right? Soul at rest, the believer is at perfect peace with God. He or she has a conscience of the fact that they are in a right relationship with God. When you're in the middle of worship, doubts can't get in because you know you're overflowing. You're assured you've been accepted by God because of the relationship you have with Jesus Christ and his salvation work. A couple, couple verses from Ephesians in chapter 1, but we're going to start with verse 6, and then we'll go to verse 3. It says in verse 6, To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. That's outstanding. The believer has come to realize that in Jesus, God sees him or her, he sees us, as sanctified, justified, redeemed, regenerated, blessed with all spiritual blessings. Verse 3 of the same chapter in Ephesians, it says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. As the believer considers who they are in Jesus, their heart is filled with adoration, love, and praise for the God who made it possible. Because at your core... You and I both know it ain't us. We didn't conjure it up. And so we reach heavenward with praise, with praises for him, directed towards the God who loved, saved, and blessed us. And then something happens, which is point number three. Worship is being immersed in the wonder of the presence of God. Worship is being immersed in the wonder of the presence of God. Another writer wrote, Worship is the occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even with its blessings, but with God himself. Too often our praying and our thinking is occupied with self. Is it not true you go to church to get a blessing? Is it not true we go to God in prayer because we have a need? We prayed for some of those who were sick, who texted us and, and or uh, sent emails this morning, did we not? Is it not true that we often engage in worship, what we call worship, because of what we want to get out of it? In truth, genuine worship, this is hard cheese right here, listen to me now. In truth, genuine worship, biblical worship, is not about us getting anything. It's about us being lost in the wonder of who God is. When David was told by Nathan that God would establish David's throne and his kingdom forever, David sat down stunned in the presence of God. Let's look at it together, and I want you to keep that in your mind. Read this with that in your mind. 2 Samuel 7, 18 through 22. I think we got it on the screens. I don't have monitors up here today, fellas. Then King David went in 
sat in the Lord's presence and said, who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God. And you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you are great, Lord God. This, there's no one like you and there's no God beside you as all we have heard confirms. You see it? Do you see David? He sat there and basked in the glory and goodness of God. He was overcome with wonder and praise. That is the essence of true worship. This image is made clear by a couple of glimpses of, of heaven. Heavenly worship that we get in the scriptures. It comes from Revelation. I'm going to read these to you. And in this image, I want, I want you to, to consider something. In these verses we're about to have out of Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, not a single petition is made. Not a single request is made. All we find here is pure, unadulterated worship of the person and the glory of God. Check it out. Revelation 4, 10 and 11. The 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and they say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they existed and were created. I think it gets better in chapter 5, 9 through 14. Just go on this journey with me. Listen. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign on earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also the living creatures and of the elders and their number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and every, everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. While anyone in the world, even an unbeliever, can recognize that God exists, that he's supreme creator, not everybody has the capacity for worship. The lost person can understand the reality of God, but they cannot appreciate the truth about God that can only be revealed by the Spirit of God. I don't say that. The Scriptures do. 1 Corinthians tells us that in chapter 2, verse 13. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. 
You get that? The unbeliever cannot worship. Worship is something that comes to us as we become authentic Christ followers. That's what these two verses just explained to us. Believers, on the other hand, we enjoy a special relationship with God. We enjoy living water. We experience this with Jesus. Jesus spoke to the woman at the well earlier in our base chapter, in, in verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will get thirsty again, in verse 13. John 4, 14, he says, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up from him to eternal life. That's a picture of what happens to us when we get saved. The Spirit of God takes up residence in our hearts. Now, we don't get, we don't get perfect. You know, we, we want to reflect Christ. We want to live out His thing. That's where sanctification and growing in Christ comes from. That's where a fellowship of believers really can make a difference. That's where worship which you cannot not do if you believe in Christ. If he is your savior, you have to worship. It's like breathing. And that's where that builds strength. He fills us with the wonder of who God is, and he flows out of us in worship and service to God. I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 7. I just want you to hear this. I felt like I'd had enough scriptures already. So at some point, you've got to cut her back. But I want you to hear this. John chapter 7. I think it's 30, verse 37. Yeah, all right. This is the promise of the Spirit. This is Jesus talking now, okay? And you know that he's already been talking about the living water. He's been doing all this. But listen to this. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, Okay, he didn't just whisper to the disciples around the campfire. He stood up and cried out at the festival. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, he has now. That's probably enough definitions for one service. But as we move through fourth quarter and as we begin a new year, the BIC has this time of a week of prayer and fasting from, uh, we're going to do January 2nd to January 9th. We're going to end that fast with our first potluck of the year, the next potluck we're going to have. And I may revisit this topic because I think it's so important. But let me close with a statement and a story. The statement is this. Everybody worships someone or something. Everybody does. Years ago, John MacArthur told the story of an article he read in the Chicago Tribune, and many of us have heard this story. It seems that a woman from New Mexico noticed that the skillet burns on one of her tortillas she was frying resembled the face of Jesus. So she showed it to her husbands and neighbors who agreed the marks on the tortilla looked like the face kind of bore a resemblance to their idea of what Jesus looked like. At any rate, she took her tortilla to the priest to have it blessed, and she testified that the tortilla had changed her life. Now her husband agreed. He said that his wife had been more peaceful, happy, and submissive since the tortilla arrived in their home. So the priest, not accustomed to blessing tortillas, 
was somewhat reluctant, but he agreed he did it. So she took the tortilla home. She put it in a glass case. A case. She put piles of cotton to make it look like it was floating on a cloud. She built a special altar for it and opened the shrine to visitors. This is true. You can look it up. A lot of you are nodding and you remember it. Within a few months, more than 8,000 people had come to the shrine of Jesus of the tortilla. <laughs> and all of them agreed that the face and the burn marks on the tortilla, well, kind of looked like the face of Jesus, except one reporter thought it looked like boxing champion Leon Spinks, but that's a whole other thing. Um, John MacArthur then comments this. Listen to this. He said, it seems incredible that so many people would worship a tortilla, but such a distorted concept of worship is not really unusual in contemporary society. When you stop and think about it. Some people worship a tortilla. Some bow down to rocks, statues, and animals. Others give their worship to themselves or their families or their possessions. Uh, I know Shannon and uh, Lori are in, in Arizona, and they asked me to send them some stuff of where they might be able to go. One of the places you can go is Sedona. Sedona is a beautiful place. It is the New Age Jerusalem because of the, the landscape. And you got people up there staring into crystals. And they don't even know about Jesus or the tortilla. You know? <laughs> some people worship themselves. In fact, I would say that's the biggest God in America. Or their families, or their possessions. Some worship their church, or their favorite pastor or preacher. Some, their old moldy traditions are more important than worshiping the authentic God of the scriptures. In truth, everybody gives honor, respect, and, and adoration to someone or something that crosses the line into the form of worship. So the question is, to whom do you give yours? Is your worship God-focused, God-directed, God-centered? Is it self-focused, self-directed, self-centered? The reason I know this is because that was me. I was self-centered. Or is your worship religion-focused, religion-directed, or religion-centered? That's the struggle that I had coming out of seminary in the 90s. We just did it all right according to the regulations. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you are. And us as covenant partners at LifeHouse, this is who we are. And I hope that we can be challenged together to grow and worship correctly. If you worship not what you want it to be, and you know it's not pleasing to the Lord, go to him today with your worship. If you're like me, and you want to deepen your worship experience, come to the Lord and ask him to help you with that. I've been doing that for 15 years, 20 years. What year did we go to Alaska? It's almost 20 years ago now. It's real. And, it's, and, it's, and his burden is light and his yoke is easy. This is not a hard thing. It's like breathing. But if you've bounced off the wall of the racetrack of your life and they're dragging you out of the car and you're catching your breath, now's the time to breathe deeply with worship in the Lord. Let's finish the other bookend of Scripture to capture the vibe of what I'm talking about today. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It's fulfill your ministry. Out of the view of worship, out of the view of the fact that we are surrendered to Christ and we're in covenant together, 
The Apostle Paul tells us, he says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Rebuke. Sometimes you've got to tell people straight up what's the what. Correct. Encourage. And sometimes you've got to have great patience. You've got to have a softness to you that I struggle with, but I'm, I'm working on it. And teaching. Verse 3. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. It's happening in this town right now. They will turn away from the hearing of the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Because every one of you that is a Christ follower, you have a ministry. And we're going to fulfill it together. This is the Christmas season. Come and worship. Come and worship. Come and worship Christ, the newborn king. Let's stand together and pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you and praise you. We just ask that you would be with each and every one of us. Let us be faithful to the kingdom more so than to our own ideas of what is what. Let us go deeply with you, Lord. Let us drink deeply. Let us be a worshiping, giving people. Let us be a worshiping, overflowing people. Let us just be immersed in the wonder of your presence, God. Because that is why we are here. Strengthen us for such a time as this. Let us stand firm in our convictions with truth, love, and with a spine of steel. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.